0: So we're on this series, which I hope is helpful to you. I think it is. I'm taking a look at you, and your brains look so much better. They're, you're doing exercise, I could see. Your brains are firming up. You look absolutely wonderful. We should review Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows. The springs of life. Yeah, the mind is a gift. It ought to be used as an, a means by which we love God. So we memorized Mark twelve thirty, which said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind. Oh, I missed it. And with all your mind and with all your strength. And God gave us a very hopeful message. He said, you're here for a spell. Be living proof, be salt and light, but be careful about so dwelling on your earth boundedness uh, that you forget about heavenly realities. So he gave us through Paul Colossians 3, 2, which said, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. And we'll go a little further tonight. We'll let our thoughts center on some statements that were made by Paul in a place called Corinth. I've been there. It's a real place. Some of you have been there as well. It's in modern day Greece, an interesting place. There was a church there. Thank God for it. It was a little rough. And it gave Paul a rough time. In fact, He had a real rough time in Corinth, not only from church people, but from uh, the government. In fact, the government summoned him to a trial. It was in a public forum. That's how they did it. It was a Greek culture, you know, and they loved oratory. And it was sort of like entertainment. People would come to a city square... There the accused uh, would stand below the magistrates who were on an elevated stone platform called the bema seat. It's there in Corinth today. We stood when we journeyed there on the very spot that Paul did when he had to defend himself in front of the Roman magistrates at this bema seat. One of the things Paul had to defend was his authority, his credentials, if you will. And I could understand that. Maybe you could as well. He's making statements as an apostle with ultimate authority. He's saying, listen to me, people, for good reason, for I shall tell you about almighty God. He is unseen, but he's the most high God. And he has revealed himself to me. Listen up. I will reveal him to you. And there were naysayers in Corinth, philosophers who said, No, 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 Paul. Who do you think you are? You don't have private access to God. In fact, through our own wisdom and speculative ventures, through our own understanding, we could know the things of God as well. You have no greater authority to speak on his behalf than we do. Okay, so that's the context of what we're about to read here now. In First Corinthians, that's where it is. It's First Corinthians chapter two. And so uh, I would like to invite you to look along if you have a Bible, if not help yourself to one which is nearby you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I've just given you the context. By the way, as we memorize scripture, you want to be very careful that you examine the context before you pluck it out of context. That's what we've made an attempt to do uh, before we choose a verse to memorize. What's the context? So I've just given you the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 11. Uh, Paul is speaking, for who, says he, among men, knows the thoughts of a man, except the spirit of the man which is in him. Would you look to your right or to your left? Be sure you know who you're sitting next to. Don't say anything. Just look to that. Look right to that person's mind. Do you mind? Now let's just take turns. We'll start here. Uh, What is that person thinking? See, you cannot know. You'd have to guess about it. That's what this is saying. Nobody knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit. This is not the Holy Spirit. This just means the, the life, the, the, the human spirit. That person's spirit knows what he or she is thinking, but nobody else does. And by the same token, it says here, even so. See, in the same way, uh, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. So here's Paul's beginning point. He's laying a foundation. He's saying, don't be so arrogant. You can't even discern the thoughts of a fellow human being unless they're expressed to you. How much less can you discern the thoughts of a transcendent almighty deity whose eons in a different category from you. In fact, the only one who knows the thoughts of God or the very spirit of God in the same way in which the only one who knows the thoughts of a man or a woman is their own spirit, you see. So that's, that's what he's saying. So he's slamming the philosophers of the day who are saying, you know, just by my own speculative wisdom, Uh, I I could get to know God. He's saying, are you kidding? You don't even know the thoughts of the guy right next to you. How can you know the thoughts of God who's out of reach, you say? He's saying you're not privy uh, to the thoughts even of a fellow human being. It's just guesswork for you to know what's going on in their mind. How much more would you have to speculate and guess? How much more would be the probability you would miss out on knowing with accuracy the mind of Almighty God, that is to say, Unless he revealed his thoughts to you. And this he did. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. No, no. But the spirit who is from God. Why? Well, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So so he says we have received. Who is the we? Well, if you're a Christian, it is by extension you for sure. But in the immediate context, I think the we is a reference to Paul and those like him who authoritatively communicated the thoughts of God to others. In other words, Paul and the other apostles who wrote scripture, they were coming under fire, you see, by others who were competing for attention. They were saying, uh, who puts you on a pedestal? What, what what revelation do you have that we can't attain to by our own mind power? And Paul is saying, you can't know what's on the mind of God unless it reveals it to you. And he did. This he did to us, we, the apostles, we who wrote New Testament scripture. We did not write this on our own initiative. We're not telling you what God thinks uh, apart from what God has told us he thinks because if we did that it wouldn't be with authority it wouldn't be with accuracy it would be guesswork. you don't even know what you, the person next to you is thinking how could you know what the great beyond transcendent deity is thinking we know because we have received you see it isn't the spirit which emanates from the world it's not the spirit which comes even from the most intelligent man or a uh, or academician. No, we have received the Spirit of God. Therefore, we can know the things freely given to us by God. You don't even know. You can't apprehend. You can't lay hands on. You can't wrap your life around the marvelous blessings, the grace, the mercy, the gifts of God, the things freely given. You can't know of these things unless they are revealed through the Spirit of God. We, says he, the authoritative writers of the New Testament, we have received that very Spirit of God. Apart from Him, we couldn't proclaim to you. We couldn't write with inerrancy, without error, with certainty, with a guarantee, with assurance. We couldn't write to you what God is thinking unless God revealed His thoughts to us and this He did by sending to us His Spirit. Your Spirit knows what your thoughts are, only God's spirit can reveal what his thoughts are. So are you with me so far? This is kind of what this is what he this is what he's saying. So so since the writers of the Bible, prophets in the old testament, Uh, Apostles in the New Testament received what they recorded through the Spirit of God. Therefore, they could say with authority, we have been specifically and specially selected for this very unique purpose of inscribing in writing for you what are the thoughts of God. In fact, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is the mind of God on paper. That's what it is. And so he's slamming the philosophers of the day. He's saying we didn't arrive at our conclusions about what God is thinking. Uh, By fabricating this, oh no. We access the mind of God through the spirit of God who he sent. And why did God do this? Uh, Because God wants us to know what's on his mind. That's why. If he wasn't a God willing to reveal his thoughts, you and I would be forced to speculate. Well, I think God this, I think God that. You think anything you want, but it doesn't have any more authority than what anyone thinks. So God said, I shall dispel the need for speculation. We're not going to take a vote. You don't have to do anything like that. I shall reveal to you what's on my heart and what's on my mind. Why? I desire for you to apprehend me with accuracy, because I'm a God willing to be apprehended. I'm all about relationships, says God. I'm not distant. I'm not withholding. I don't want you to guess about where you stand with me. I don't want you to be nervous. Do you like me today? Do you dis- will you dislike me tomorrow? Have you forgiven me today? Will you judge me tomorrow? Do you love me today? Will you dismiss me tomorrow? No, I don't want you to be guessing about I will tell you what's on my heart, what's on my mind. I'll do it through human agency. They're called the writers of the Bible, the prophets and the apostles. And I'm going to do this because I want you to know of the things freely given to you by me. So that's why God did what he did. So it goes on to say in verse 13, which things we, again, the prophets and the apostles, We also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. This is a subject for another day, but verse 13 in this entire passage is perhaps one of the strongest demonstrations of how we got the Bible. Man didn't speak of his own volition and authority. No, no, man moved by the very Spirit of God. Wrote, recorded, and scripturated truth, which is a very accurate, precise reflection of the thoughts of the mind of God. And Paul is saying, we we didn't make this stuff up. We were moved to have spiritual thoughts by the Spirit of God, and we conformed them to writing spiritual words so that you don't have to guess about what God thinks. You don't have to guess about what God thinks of you today. No, no, these things are taught by the Spirit. But uh, God's mind, his thoughts, do you know they're not um, um, understandable to all comers? Look at verse 14. A natural man. Now, a natural man is simply someone devoid of the Spirit of God. If you are a Christian, you weren't always. Once, you were this natural person. You were a natural person in that what characterized you was your own spirit. You did not have the spirit of God. You were just left to your nature. You were natural. When the Holy Spirit came upon you at your invitation, when you accepted the Lord Jesus, a very supernatural addition, component came into your life, the very spirit of God. But apart from the spirit of God, everyone born, conceived in normal fashion is this natural man. Now, look what it says about that person. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. You know this to your frustration. A friend, a relative, a co-worker who you yearn to see embraced by the Lord Jesus is keeping the Lord Jesus at arm's length. You see, the things of the Spirit of God, this natural man does not accept. Why? Well They appear to be foolishness to him. So you want to see how bad this is? It's not that the natural man doesn't know of the facts of God. He does. And he evaluates them and says it's foolish. You see how bad it is? When you're left to your own nature, I'm telling you, you're not going to find God. You're not going to get to know his mind. You cannot in relationship with him if you're left alone to your own nature. In fact, even if someone were to share with you the facts of God, left to your own nature without the activity of God, graciously upon you, you're going to think it's all foolishness. And you cannot understand. Do you notice it's going from does not to cannot? He does not accept. He cannot understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually... Appraised, you cannot know the mind of God apart from the Spirit of God. You see, we don't access the mind of God by pedigree, uh, by wealth, uh, by IQ. Isn't that good? It is really good because then only, you know, really smart, wealthy people would be would be, would would be able to know the things of God. But because He's no respecter of persons. He's made access to his mind available to all comers, all who will. So the natural man, such were you, such were was I at one point. We would not receive. We could not understand. We we we, we dismissed these unbelievably lofty. Uh, potentially redemptive truths, as foolishness. We pronounced upon it this verdict. It is foolishness. Thinking people don't believe the Bible. Thinking people don't believe God would become man. Thinking people don't believe anyone's going to save you. You have to save yourself, you see? That's what we were like. And in an instant, the Lord Jesus changed everything. It's called being born again. In an instant, this is one of the things that happened. Yet the penalty of sin was removed and so much more. But in an instant, something happened. You and I, for Christians, we got the mind of Christ. Look at verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. He asks a rhetorical question. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Nobody. You don't even know what's on the mind of the person sitting next to you. The audacity of a creaturely being to think he or she can access the Creator through mind power only. It's natural. It's unregenerated. It's lost in darkness. It has to be resuscitated, it has to be born anew. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Meaning meaning that he'll enter into a sort of a peer relationship with God, that he'll scrutinize the thoughts of God as an equal. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has such access to him that he could call himself an equal of God? Nobody. But we. Two words that are just a huge turn-on, but we Christians, but we have the mind of Christ. We ought to memorize this verse. First Corinthians. It's First Corinthians. Uh, and what chapter is it? Two and verse sixteen. So we got the address. First Corinthians two, verse sixteen. Uh, are you ready? See if we can get this f- without looking. Uh, f- for who has known... Say, for who has known... What does it say next? The mind of of the Lord. Okay, let's start from the beginning. For who has known the mind of the Lord. Okay, good. So far. Let's add to it. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. Okay, let's do the whole thing. For who... Has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. But we, did you, did you, did you, did you stay there for a second. But we, I just love those. It's different with us. But we, let's start from the beginning. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. But we have the mind. Of Christ let's do the whole thing for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him but we have the mind of Christ you know why we memorize scripture so that you can meditate on scripture you don't get brownie points from memorizing scripture it's just what you have to do in order to be able to think about scripture to meditate on it. I don't know of anything that can help you to better sleep peacefully at night. Navigate the choppy waters of the day. Get your mind off of stuff that's dragging you down. Uh, than to meditate on memorized scripture. So that's where we're doing what we're doing. And the way to memorize it is hard work. It just there's no easy way to do it except for a select few who have these photographic memories. For me I gotta work on it just a word phrase by phrase. I try to emphasize different parts of it so it sticks in in my mind. See if it worked. Uh, the address is first Corinthians 2:16 for who has known the mind of the lord that he will instruct him but we have the mind of christ chew on that one when your head hits the pillow would you go slow you won't even finish the verse the enemy will let you sleep he doesn't want you thinking about scripture so folks this is an amazing truth Right here. Paul draws on this ancient passage of scripture from Isaiah 40. And in so doing, he shows to us its relevance in Paul's day, even in our own day. He's essentially saying no one can know God's thoughts except God reveals his thoughts to that person. And Paul says he has to you. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, you have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean you're better than anybody. You can't lord it over anyone. It doesn't mean that. It just means you now have the capacity to put your thoughts into alignment with those of the Lord Jesus. Your thoughts could not come into consistent alignment with the thoughts of God until you were born again because you didn't have the mind of Christ. But now you do. So now when you read of his thoughts expressed in words in the Bible, you don't pull back and say foolishness to me. You say, this is the word of God. This is the heart of God. This is the mind of God. These are the promises of God. These are the plans and purposes of God. This is the ways of God. You put yourself under it now. You see, you're born anew. You're not a natural person anymore. You're very, you have the very Spirit of God in you, and it's the Spirit of God who shows you that the thoughts of God, written down in the Bible, are just that. His Word to you, an expression of His open heart, an expression of His mind, His thoughts to you. You ought to glean from it the very life that sustains your own life you have the mind of christ he has disclosed his thoughts to you if you're a christian think about it you know when these guys helped us sing jesus lifted me good night this is one of the ways in which jesus lifted us he made us privy to his mind he said guess no more wonder no more about where you stand with me, I shall tell you. I've expressed my thoughts to you. 66 books of the Bible. Read it. Believe it. Accept it. It isn't foolishness. Isn't it? It is it. Receive it. It's my mind to you. But wait a second. What if your thoughts are different than God's thoughts about specific subjects? For instance, you. What if your thoughts about yourself are different than God's thoughts about you? Whose thoughts got to go? What if your thought is, I am unloved, but God has declared his thought, you are my beloved. What if your thought is, People will leave me and forsake me when they get to know me. But, 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 but what if God's declared thought is, I will never leave you or forsake you? What if your thought is that you're worthy of condemnation? In fact, you're regularly in the business of condemning yourself. That's called guilt, shame. Give it, give it. But what if God's declared thought about you is, there is therefore now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What if your thought is, I have experienced rejection, separation from significant others, and abandonment and neglect at very uh, critical times in my life as a child, as a young adult. (laughs) But what if God's declared thought is nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Well, now you're at a crossroads, folks. In your mind, you have conflicting thoughts—yours, God's. Whose are going to go? Could I tell you something? Oftentimes, His go. I'm speaking to uh, fellow Christians uh, uh, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ personally as Savior, who suffered and died for. One's own sin is to be a Christian, wonderful, glorious, magnificent, the best decision of your eternal life. However, it's possible to be fully redeemed, fully saved, fully a Christian, but rejecting the thoughts of God towards you in favor of your own. And if you're doing that, you're probably pretty depressed because you're going to come up short. See see, 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 because if your thoughts about you are not coming from him, where are they coming from? There's only a few other sources. Your life experience, which perhaps was quite unhappy. The world, in other words. Um, your human pride, that ain't too cool. Or the devil. He's referred to as the father <laughs> of lies. So you're either getting your thoughts from the world, your flesh, or the devil, or you're tapping into the mind of Christ. You never could do that. It was an impossibility. But now you can because you're not a natural person. He's implanted a marvelous pledge, a deposit in your lives. His very spirit. And it's the spirit of God who reveals the thoughts of God. What's it going to be? Your thoughts or God's? Could I tell you something? And I, here I'm going to add a little salt to the wound of my my fellow um, uh, brothers and sisters who struggle with the depression perhaps or anxiety or guilt or shame, those, those things. Um, it's a multifaceted thing. Don't let me oversimplify it, and we need to talk more about the organic nature of some of these ailments. But regardless, what the cause is, there's something you could do about it. There's something you need to do about it. Um, and it's this: if you refuse to accept the thoughts of God about you in favor of your own, that's called sin. I don't want to hurt you, but it, but but that's I, I don't know what, that's called sin. Specifically, it's called the sin of arrogance. I don't want to hurt you, but I got it. This is actually hopeful because you could do something about it. See, the sin of arrogance says, oh, God, thank you for revealing your mind to me. I've read it in the Bible. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the Heavenly places, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, and not for calamity. I'll never leave you or forsake you. There is no condemnation. I know about all that. Thank you so much. But I don't think so. Ah. See, that's the sin of arrogance, don't you see? That's the sin of arrogance. You know what you can do about it? Stop it. You could say, oh, God, my feelings are not there yet. My feelings are not consistent with your thoughts about me yet. You know, they have to catch up. But the thoughts generate all that. So so, so I really have to opt for your mind, your thoughts, instead of my own. My thoughts feel more comfortable. They're more familiar ground. They've actually sort of become a friend to me. But they're not a friend at all. They're destroying me. They're sapping the life which you have put into me. I'm not shining for Christ. I'm not really being living proof. The fire is being extinguished by this inundation of condemning thoughts, guilty thoughts, terrible thoughts of worthlessness and of love, uh, unloveliness and all. And oh God, that's familiar territory to me, but I'm not going to do it. I'm rejecting it. No, 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 no. I'm no longer going to commit the sin of arrogance. I'm going to take your thoughts. Thank you so much for revealing them to me. What a God you are. Not to make me guess. Not to keep me in the dark. Thank you for spelling out what you think in the scriptures. Sin of arrogance. Don't do it. No, no, no. There's more to depression. Please, don't let me lay a guilt trip on you. We spoke about the brain and neurotransmitters and all the rest. I understand that. But regardless of the complicating causation of depression, this is still something anyone could do. You could still do this. You could do this. You you could say, God, I won't be arrogant. I'll take your thoughts instead of my own. There's a guy named Hugh Ross. He's a Christian. He's a scientist. He's brilliant. He's an astronomer in particular. He wrote a book. It's interesting. It's called Why the Universe Is the Way It Is. He said prior to the discovery of the telescope, scientists and philosophers would criticize the um, um, concept of the existence of God. See, prior to the telescope, they would say, you know, the the universe, the cosmos is really dinky. It's relatively small. So this God, you God people, tell us exists, must be really puny. Because look at the very puny universe he made. You get such a small God. Well, then something happened, the discovery of the telescope. And these same scientists and philosophers gaze into it and see unbelievable galaxies and constellations in the infinitude of the cosmos. And now they have to go, oops. So you know what they did then? They said, you God people say that you, people, we, are the crown of his creation. And that he has an interest in us. But we're looking through the telescope and we're seeing all kinds of unbounded uh, uh, galaxies and all the rest. What kind of God is it who would be so wasteful? You say he's focusing his attention on you, on Earth, saving you, and. <coughs> but we're looking through the telescope and we see all this unbounded space. What a waste. Apparently, God didn't go green. Apparently, Apparently he's not into the, invi- I mean, he's wasting all, you know, if it's just you, look at all this weight. I'm telling you, I pared it down into to, to, to foolishness. But that is exactly a, uh, a point of view advanced uh, in bigger words by uh, members of the scientific philosophical uh, community today. Don't you see how arrogant is our natural inclination? but it is no less arrogant to say to almighty God who has uh, declared his thoughts to us, preserved them with that era down to this very day, inspired the writing through prophets and apostles of the Bible, which is accessible to us in nine bazillion different translations. It's just as arrogant uh, for us to say, no, I will choose my thoughts about me as over against your thoughts about me. So, So I don't want to simplify things. I'm no psychiatrist, I'm no doctor, can't prescribe medication, can't do any of that, all of which I believe has some value, but that's not what I'm able to do here. What are we able to do? Do some mind work. Work out here. Do some mental exercise. Don't resign yourself to the fact, this is my diagnosis, this is who I am, this is my label. You know what my label is? What your label is? Perhaps? I'm no longer a natural person. (laughs) I'm filled with the very Spirit of God who has revealed to me the very mind of Christ because I'm a child of God. I may be a child of God who struggles with depression or anxiety or panic attacks or these other things or interrupted sleep patterns and all the rest. (laughs) But that isn't my essential identity. My essential identity is that I'm I'm a child of God who has access to the mind of Christ and, and I'm going to work at it and it's just as difficult as exercising physically for the first time and then it gets easier and I'm developing muscle tone and, and aerobic capacity I didn't have and it was painful to begin with and it's always kind of a drag to participate in. But boy, I'm healthier and I have more energy and that's what could happen when we exercise this thing. Uh, Would you say it with me one more time? 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So my fellow regenerated, reborn, adopted, forgiven, pardoned Christians, There have been all kinds of life experiences which have imprinted thought patterns. Remember we spoke about neurons and neurotransmitters and all this. I understand all of that. Attack it. Don't take it lying down. Say yes, yes, yes. All that has affected me. And I've got lots of work to do. But I can do it now. Because aside from uh, thoughts put in my head by my own flesh, by people who have hurt me, by the world in which I live. I have the mind of Christ. Cry out, not just what would Jesus do, but what does Jesus think of me? You can access it. It's no longer foolishness to you. These things are spiritually appraised. You have the Spirit of God who can help you to understand the Word of God so that you can be a healthier man or woman of God. So I just close with this, a little exhortation. Are you in an iConnect Bible study here? What's the point of that? Get to know the thoughts of God inscribed in the Bible. You need it. It's therapy. Don't get nervous by that word. That just means to feel good. <laughs> it's not just Bible study for its own sake. It's to see what is the mind of Christ and to replace our thoughts with his thoughts. And it could be done. And The Bible says the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Next week, Lord willing, let's talk about how to put the mind to bed. That's a challenge for more and more of us. We're irritable, we're moody, because we're not rested. We're not rested because we're not sleeping. If we get to sleep, we wake up and can't get back to sleep. Ambien is the equivalent of M&M's. Why are we such a sleep disordered society? I'll tell you next week. Apparently some of you are doing pretty good in the sleep department as I look (laughs) at. But we'll talk about that. Next week, what does the Bible say about sleep? Can you do it more effectively? Why do you need to? Isn't it a waste of time? What if you just stayed up and worked? Wouldn't that be better for you? We'll talk about next week. Lord Jesus, when we refer to you as Redeemer, we ought not underestimate the implications of it all, primarily principally. You have redeemed us from the power, presence, penalty of sin. But you've also redeemed a corrupted, darkened, pretty neglected, fleshly, natural mind. You've made it alive (laughs) so as to be able to receive, to apprehend, to welcome, to respect your thoughts Oh, God, we confess to you the sin of arrogance. It's arrogant for us to say, yes, I see what you say. (laughs) But I'm going to opt for my own thoughts, though they be contrary to it. Thank you for forgiving us that very sin of arrogance. You've done it. That's what the cross is all about. Put it within us, would you please, to get sick and tired (laughs) of choosing our own thoughts as over yours. Help us to be freer. Lord Jesus, even with regard to our thought life. Thank you for loving us so much that you're concerned about every aspect of our being, not just overt behaviors, but especially the internal environment which which drives all the rest. Father, would you make us healthier, therefore, on the inside. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.